You are listening to CFCR 90.5 FM, and it's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio, and we're going to talk about comics. We've got a big pile of stuff to talk about. We will throw over to Hank and Craig at some point and their picks in pop culture, and then we're going to wrap up with a new show, our Friday Find, because it's actually not new, but I just discovered it. Uh, It's called The Sky Arts Portrait Artist of the Year and there's also a landscape artist of the year version, but we'll uh, get into that a little later in the show. There have been so many new comics, a lot of reboots, a lot of restarts over the last two weeks. Punisher is new, Carnage is new, Captain Carter's new, Han Solo and Chewbacca have a little mini series just started, uh, Strange, tons of stuff at DC. And uh, Little Monsters is the new book from Jeff Lemire that I want to talk about. But first, let's talk DC. So Brennan, you've just read War for Earth 3 and World's Finest. And what was your take on those two? Okay, so um, as I mentioned before, I like my B-level characters. I like my side characters. And when Ambush Book went to Suicide Squad, I became very excited because I love Ambush Book. I'm probably one of the few Ambush Book fans actually out there in the world of comics. So... Uh, War for Earth 3 is a little limited series. Um, the first issue is a standalone. Then the second issue is part of Suicide Squad number 13. And then the third issue is going to The Flash. And uh, it's just going to hop around from a few different titles, I think five or six titles. If you are at all interested in kind of looking into what Suicide Squad is doing in this whole multiverse thing, you know what? This, one, this wouldn't be a bad place to start. So uh, we have Waller with the Suicide Squad, and she goes to Earth-3. For those of us who, who don't know, uh, Earth-3 is where the crime syndicate lives. They're like the evil version of the Justice League. And Ultraman, who is Superman, is basically in charge of this planet, kind of like a bit of an injustice kind of riff. And she goes to Earth-3 because she has a proposition for him. She has a plan. She's going to, it seems like she's trying to make a move on the whole multiverse itself. Um, it was a really fun book. There are a ton of artists. We jump back and forth between different time areas and different planets. Uh, and every time we do, when you go from Earth 3 to Earth 0, it's a different artist, which I think is kind of fun. It kind of gives you a, a nice glimpse of things. Um, every time Ambush Bug is on in the comic, uh, I'm happy. It's a bit more funny, kind of campy, sort of the tone of the movie, but not so over the top and, and, and dark, but a little more funny. Ambush Bug at one point teleports them into a piano bar because it was the first place he thought of. And there's people on stage singing and you see their speech bubble, but all the words are like redacted, like they're blacked out. And there's a box over top that says song lyrics censored by uh, Warner copyright or something like that. It was really funny. So like they do some self-aware stuff. Um, it's good. It was a fun, decent read. Lots of characters in it. So at, at times you kind of have to keep in track of who you're looking at. But what I do like, we, we go from like now to before to a little after now to a little bit before. And it kind of jumps around. But if you want a good, a good jump into the Suicide Squad, yeah, check it out. It's not bad at all. But what was excellent, excellent was World's Finest Number One, written by Mark Wade. Um, and if there's one thing that I should remember about Mark Wade, if you want someone just to write a really good classic superhero story, uh, he's the writer for you. He has this tendency to just know how to fit that sweet spot between um, fandom but not totally pandering. So written by Mark Wade, uh, Dan Mora does the, does the art. Um, this looks like just a good classic kind of world's finest comic. The first shot of Batman in Metropolis. Uh, so Poison Ivy's in Metropolis and Batman shows up. He has not only the, the, uh, the Navy and the gray outfit, 
but he has the the yellow insignia around the bat, which I didn't realize how much I missed until I actually saw it again. I was like, oh, I missed that. So this actually reminds me of the world's finest comics that I would have read uh, growing up. Now, this is probably better than those ones, but it felt like the ones I read as a kid, which almost seems more, more important. Poison Ivy's Metropolis doing things, and up shows uh, Metallo, or Metallo, Metallo? I'm never quite, quite sure. The Man with the Kryptonite Heart, and they kind of recreate that scene that's at covers of World's Finest when he has like, uh, he had the Kryptonite, he had a black hole heart for a while too. So they do all this kind of fan service. It's really fun. The artwork is super, super clean. But of course, as any superhero story, things go wrong and we have a guest appearance, which was a team I never thought you would see with the Superman comic. But again, Mark Wade has a really good way of combining different elements and making it fit without it seeming unusual. Uh, it's just a really nice, classic, fun story. And I like my team up books. So if you haven't checked it out yet, check out World's Finest number one. It was really good. It was actually my, my surprise, my surprise read of the week. So there you go. My first ever, The Riz's surprise read of the week. World's Finest number one. Check it out. Let's move over to Marvel. Uh, Dave, what was your take on Strange? Number one. I would probably give this a couple more issues chance because it looks like it could be fun, but I have to say not really wowed by the number one. Uh, cool concept. Uh, Clea Strange, wife of Doctor Strange, taking over the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme, and of course immediately after claiming that title, running afoul of one Doom who would want to claim that title for himself. So it's good to see Doom again. Um, but that's sort of the high-level sorcery conflict, and they kind of combine that with a lower-level, street-level conflict, which is that New York has this magic market of sorcery, sort of like a farmer's market for us. And she'd like to see it protected, but there are a lot of Marvel villains with an interest in trying to take it over. But to this point, they've been magic enough to run. And that's kind of where issue one takes us. All right. I bought it because I like the cover. It really doesn't look anything like the cover inside. I noticed that this is listed as a variant edition. So maybe there are other covers where Clea looks more like Clea. But I, I agree with you. It's a cool looking cover. Yeah. She's kind of shooting you at the mop. She is totally yeah. giving it. So you got to love that. That's awesome. Okay. Brennan? You read Punisher number one. What's Frank Castle up to these days? So Frank Castle, he is now part of a group called The Hand. He's been recruited. And The Hand is a centuries-old organization that basically is in charge of killing people and becoming the best killers ever. They're basically a group of ninjas, except for Frank Castle. They've recruited him, and they send him on missions to do what he does best. Story wasn't bad. Very digitized kind of looking artwork. Not, not like the classic artwork of World's Finest, but at the end, there, there is, of course, a surprise. There's a reason why he's working with the hand. This actually went a different route than I expected by flipping through it. But overall, in a really interesting setup, depending how it goes, like I, I could see myself doing the next, like, maybe four to four, maybe six, but it better really hook me by number six. Like the only Punisher I actually, I actually bought was the Garth Ennis one. And that's just because I love Garth Ennis. Like when it was Garth Ennis and like the, the, the preacher creative team doing Punisher, I love that run, but that was more of him than the character. But anyway, not, not a bad start, but we'll see where it goes in the next few issues. We are going to throw over to Image Comics next. So I read Little Monsters. This is Jeff Lemire and Dustin Gwynn. 
and they are the brainchild team that created Ascender and Descender. Descender is a charming portrait of the last robot boy in the universe, and there's good guys and bad guys that are trying to uh, find and destroy or help him. Really a nice, charming style of, of art in that one. You, you should pick that one up. But this Little Monsters is cool. Um, basically, it follows these kids in a sort of post-apocalyptic world. They are kind of getting bored of the same old, same old routine of their little games and stuff. And it's just kids in this world. They are getting by. They're eating rats, but this might not be because that's the only food source. It might be because maybe they're vampires? They don't give you a lot in this first issue. They really set the table with who all the little kids in this particular gang are. So I guess the next issue will probably illuminate a little bit more on their situation, but I really enjoyed it. I'm definitely going to be subscribing to this for sure to see where it goes. But I gotta say that the best book that I read last week was from uh, 1989, General Foods, and that was The Adventures of Kool-Aid Man, number six. This is created by Dan DiCarlo, who, yes, he did Archie, so it looks like the kids from Archie on the cover, but they're not actually Archie characters or, at all. It really looks like Archie and the gang on the cover. It really does. Um, I also noticed they have Kool-Aid Man wearing pants. Yeah, he has a lot of outfits throughout this, which is unnerving. It's weird, because he doesn't usually have clothes. Feels like it might have been a censorship issue. <laughs> Maybe. He, uh, he, 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 this, this details the invention of Purplesaurus Rex, a flavor that was uh, briefly in the Kool-Aid canon. It was a combination of grape and lemonade, which was actually pretty darn good. But uh, yeah, it, it details his formulation, his subsequent plan to launch, that launch being thwarted by his enemy, and uh, then they have to go travel through time where a purple dinosaur helps them, hence the name. So, uh, yeah, Adventure of Kool-Aid Man. I love these old uh, marketing rags. I mean, they, they really, I, I got a soft spot for them. Back in the day, maybe I didn't feel the same about it, but I do, I do love them now. I do have a soft spot. So, yeah, check out Adventures of Kool-Aid Man. If you can. Uh, I can mention She-Hulk number two, since I forgot about Marvel. So She-Hulk, I, I liked She-Hulk number one. It was really good. Kind of a nice, kind of like a John Byrne kind of take, but not quite. Uh, written by Rainbow Royal. So this one, at the end of issue one, there was a surprise cameo. Uh, issue two, if you haven't read issue one, spoilers, um, it's Jack of Hearts. Who doesn't want to see Jack of Hearts again in a comic? So he shows up in She-Hulk's apartment and he's not doing well. It turns out he has been contained in a unit and he got out. He's not sure if they're trying to help him or harm him. He's not quite sure. What I enjoyed about this comic, there isn't a single fight. There isn't a big intergalactic monster. It's quite literally the two of them talking and her trying to figure out what's going on and him explaining what's happening. Something is changing with him. He's becoming more human. He's hungry for the first time in like three decades. And they just and they just talk and catch up. There's some scenes with uh, like flashbacks to Iron Man, which I'm not sure is actually canon. I'm assuming it probably is, or if they just included it for the story, it must be some part of some Avengers 
West Coast Avengers, East Coast Underwater Avengers, whatever, whatever Avengers group it is. My favorite part of the whole comic, though, once she goes to work the next day, um, now that she's got her apartment back and she has uh, clothing she likes, she actually goes to work now as She-Hulk because she has clothing that fits. It shows her again trying to live everyday life, riding the subway, being in an elevator. My favorite scene in the whole comic is there's an ambulance who is trying to get through rush hour traffic to save someone and it can't because it's stuck. So she just picks it up over her head and walks the traffic and like puts it down like a little puppy and lets it drive away. I love that. But that's what makes the com- that's what I like about it. It's like this little slice of life comic that kind of gets us away from always having to like fight and punch and things all the time. You know, I like the comics where superheroes get to have lives too, which is why I like the John, the John Byrne She-Hulk comic, right? I mean, it was more campy and more fun. And yes, there was fighting, but a lot of it was just her half the time talking to the audience and breaking the fourth wall and that kind of thing. This doesn't have that, but it was good. So it's only an issue two. So if you missed issue one, I noticed it's now in a second printing. So you can still get it, but you can't get a first printing. Um, and it's good. If you just want like a decent, different kind of read. And I also got through Hawkeye Kate Bishop number five and wrapped up their first story arc. I kind of didn't read three and four, not because I didn't want to. I just missed it apparently. Uh, but issue five was good. I now know how the story ends. And I'm looking forward to see what Kate Bishop will be up next in issue six. So there, that is all my Marvel now for the week. Well, now that we're wrapped that up, let's throw things over to Hank and Craig for a bit and get some pop culture picks. And then uh, we'll talk about Sky Arts Portrait Artist of the Year. Hey, everybody, Craig Siliphant here on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. And I am joined by my good friend, Hank Cruz. Uh, and now that we both have shaved heads, we both sort of look like Oscar. Uh, if Oscar had a beard, he would look like us. Uh, and we're going to talk about the Oscars this week because they're on Sunday, uh, March 27th there, this Sunday. But first, I know, uh, Hank, you wanted to talk about your Leafs. Okay, number one, uh, for all of you that enjoy the Punch TV uh, next month's uh, episode, when it comes out, you're going to see Craig's son, Luke, he's on there. He's sporting a Calgary Flames hat, <laughs> which... I think, you know, on the segment, I'm going to try really hard to just put a Leafs hat over top of that because it's just nobody wants to see that. But speaking of the Leafs, now that I know that you, you watched the hockey there, you remember when this Justin Bieber guy went to ruin Tim Hortons and then there was like Bieber balls or whatever they were calling it and yeah. there's the frosting all over and people were going crazy and buying merchandise or something. Well, yesterday, the CBC goes and puts out this article, which I thought was a joke about how there's a brand new Toronto Maple Leafs jersey that Justin Bieber designed, that it's the very first reversible jersey in NHL history. So the main color, kind of a black and blue um, with the Toronto Maple Leafs logo on there. I'm like, "Mm, okay, then you reverse it and it is black. And from what I can tell, borderline Boston Bruins, kind of yellow gold, borderline Pittsburgh Penguins, with a weird I don't know what it is because I didn't read the whole article because it made me angry but like some kind of weird like emoji face um on top of the the maple leaf that's kind of distorted and um I don't think that's right that Justin Bieber should be trying to ruin something that's a classic you don't mess with a classic you don't you don't change the leaf colors like it's you don't like now we're we're colors of like Boston or Pittsburgh or somebody what are you doing and why why when will it stop Craig he needs to be stopped. He's ruining everything. He's ruining Timbits. He's ruining the Maple Leafs. What's next? He'll 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 ruin it all. We got to stop him. 
like it, it upsets me. So for those of you that haven't seen it, Google it because like it, I thought it would, would, would have been a great April fool's joke. I'm like, that would have been hilarious. I would have laughed at that, but now I'm like, he's ruining everything, Craig, but you know what he can't ruin? He can't ruin the Oscars because I looked, he has nothing. There's no performance from the Beebs. <laughs> he's not presenting something. He's not going to ruin our Oscar night, Craig. Good. So uh, the, the, the Oscars, uh, I know both uh, Hank and I uh, play along uh, with our ballots. And so we thought we'd talk a little bit about the, the show this year, but also go through probably some of the main categories to uh, uh, compare notes. And, and, you know, if you're filling out your Oscar ballot, uh, you know, we're usually pretty good at this. So you can probably sneak a few points on your family or friends uh, by listening to us or fail horribly with us when we also fail horribly because that because, happens some um, years too you get you get uh punked but uh why don't we uh quickly talk about actually i just want to quickly mention the bs that is the uh telecast this year how they've like removed a bunch of the <laughs> uh categories and i think they're gonna like record them earlier and then put them in the telecast but they won't be live in the telecast and some of them are like whatever animated short film or something but like uh, makeup and hairstyling, production, like there were some big categories in there that I'm just like, I just got to say, this is stupid. It's, uh, the, the Oscars is supposed to be about movies and rewarding movie making. And these are the very categories that are at the core of movie making. So, you know, we're going to take those things out and then we're going to get some dumb musical number by, uh, you know, someone that sucks. Uh, like, and I appreciate that they're trying to make the running time shorter because it's always way too bloated, but I think you got to do that through the through cutting the garbage, not the not the actual awards. Now we're back to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Don't mess with the classic. You don't mess with the Oscars. Bieber had something to do with this. Then they go on even when they changed and added like 19 more movies to the best picture category. I'm like, come on, like don't mess with it. I want to spend eight hours of my time watching the Oscars. Come on. Yeah, exactly. So why don't we start uh, with actor in a leading role? You got Javier Bardem, Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield, Will Smith, and Denzel Washington. Who's your pick? Uh, I am going with Will Smith. Uh, looking at the rest of them, I could see Benedict, uh, you know, even Andrew Garfield, they were great. Um, but uh, Will Smith is the front runner and uh, he's going to win. He's going to win it. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that one, too. I think he has the most uh, build up to this uh, ceremony. I'd like them. I'd like to see Andrew Garfield win. Technically, it's for Tick, Tick, Boom, but it'll, it would really be for his role in Spider-Man, which he was probably one of the best parts of that movie. Yeah. Uh, actor in a supporting role. Is a bit tighter race. You got Sierra Hines for Belfast, Troy Kotzer for Coda, Jesse Plemons, Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith McPhee for Power of the Dog. Uh, I'm going to go. This is a very last minute change here. Uh, I think Cody Smith McPhee was sort of the front runner all year, but Troy Kotzer uh, has surprised everybody. He won the SAG, so I'm going to I'm going to uh-huh. go with that one. He's uh, my he's on my list. That's who's going to win. And uh, now Craig and I both agree. So uh, there you go. Like everybody at home. Yeah, that's the one. Actress in a leading role is another tight race. Uh, And this is always a great race because they always have some wonderful actresses. Uh, Kristen Stewart for Spencer, Nicole Kidman being the Ricardos, Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers, Olivia Coleman, The Lost Daughter, and Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. What say ye, Hank? Um, The movie is not good at all, but Jessica Chastain, uh, her performance was amazing so i'm gonna go with jessica and if anybody votes for nicole kidman in that horrible casting as lucille ball i say shame on you yeah shame. 
I'm surprised that we didn't see more about Kristen Stewart this year. I think Olivia Coleman was favored to win for a while, but she did uh, pick it up. Was that last year, a year yeah. or two ago? But uh, again, Jessica Chastain won the SAG, uh, which is usually the precursor uh, to winning the Oscar. So uh, I'm with you, Jessica Chastain, for the eyes of Tammy Faye. Actress in a supporting role, Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Dame Judi Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, and on Jeune Ellis for King Richard, if I pronounce that incorrectly, I apologize. Who do you, who do you pick? This I got uh, category uh, is the one that I have no idea because everybody's saying that Ariana DeBose is going to win for West Side Story, but she wasn't even invited to the ceremony. Um, as of the last time I checked, there was some controversy there that she never even got an invite to the Oscars. So I, uh, I honestly don't know. I would say uh, I would go with, yeah, I would go with her for West Side Story because that's what everybody's saying. But personally, I'd like to see Jesse Buckley win for The Lost Daughter. Okay, and I got, I got to correct you on something there. It's oh, Rachel, yeah, it's Rachel sorry, Ziegler that was the other one. Invited. Sorry, yes. Uh, sorry, who me. did you say? Yeah, this is supporting role. I was thinking the, the lead character there. Right. Who did, so the lead sorry, who did, you, pick for, who did you pick for supporting And role? I'm picking uh, the Ariana DeBose because I that's what the uh, everybody is saying, but yeah. I want Jesse Buckley to win. Right. And I think uh, Ariana DeBose uh, is pretty much considered a lock in this category. So uh, best director, how much time we got here? We got time to do that one? Best director, we got, we got about a minute left, so let's do director and picture. So best okay. director, Belfast, Drive My Car, Licorice Pizza, Power of the Dog, or West Side Story. What, what do you say? The internets, uh, the world is saying that Power of the Dog, Jane's going to win. Um, I am going to go rogue on this one. I'm going Licorice Pizza. That's what PT. I'm yeah. Will PT in? I think PT will maybe win it for, uh, will probably win it for original screenplay, screenplay unless Kenneth yeah. Branagh doesn't uh, come up behind him there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm going to say uh, Power of the Dog. It's got 12 nominations. It's, I mean, I didn't particularly love the movie, but uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's, seems like it's Jane Campion's year. Uh, so, best picture, we've got. Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, or West Side Story. I am going with The Power of the Dog. Again, not my favorite movie this year, but, uh, and I should say you should check out Drive My Car if you if you haven't. It's three hours long, and I believe it might be playing at the Roxy uh, starting right away, uh, so you can check it out in town here. Uh, but it's a it's three hours long, but it, it just it pulls you right in, I think. Uh, what are you going to say? Until you see my picks posted on at Fisher Cruise, it's not 100% official, but right now I'm going with Coda. I'm saying Coda is going to win the best picture. Uh, there's some buzz around it again now. It's kind of the, the hype's getting back up there. So uh, hopefully uh, that'll win because it is better than the power of the dog. Nice. I, I I think it's going to be power of the dog, but I think that Coda could be a dark horse contender. So I don't think you're completely uh, bonkers to, to choose that. But that's our time for this week. You can stack, see how we stacked up uh, on Sunday, uh, the 27th there when you watch the Oscars. And we'll throw back to Jody here. So... See ya. Bye. Okay, thanks, guys. So we discovered a show uh, on the recommendation of my pal, Norm. So thanks, Norm. Came out in 2013. It's Sky Arts. It's a, it's a channel in the UK. And it's called Fortress Artists of the Year. They also have a version that is Landscape Artists of the Year. But we'll get to it. So we're about halfway through. It's eight seasons. So it's been going on for quite a long time. And it's had the same judges throughout. 
Kate Bryan, Taishan Scherenberg, and Kathleen Soriano. And then the hosts of the show are Joan Bakewell and Frank Skinner. That was up to about 2020. And then they had a new guy take over the last two seasons, Stefan Mangan. And the hosts are like annoying. Uh, the judges are annoying. So I would recommend doing what we started to do after season one. And that is watch the show, but with the sound off. Because you're not missing anything. You still get to watch like the artists like make it. And sometimes they do these cool time-lapse things where you'll, you'll see them. Uh, they have cool celebrities that come in and sit. But like the stuff that people are talking about ultimately isn't interesting or poignant. So we just skip that and we put the music instead. So if you're watching it, especially if you're not watching it alone, it's really fun to just put on some soft music, turn the sound off and watch it with somebody just kind of discuss what you're watching it is better that way it is much better that way and some of these talents are incredible very very good show and you can check out all the episodes on youtube so they're there for free that wraps up another episode of punch radio a um, couple things to throw on your radar today is the first day of marbula one racing on yele uh, and it is also the second last day in the Saskatoon Heritage Society online auction. So check those out because there's good stuff to get on and it's for a good cause, which is the history of this fair city. All right. Well, in the meantime, folks, keep your dukes up.